website. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the show. No problem. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about you several years ago, actually. On, yeah. On Chris's actual fluency podcast. And then I said, let me um, see if he would like to come and talk about his language learning and what he does now with languages mm-hmm. uh, to my listeners. And because I'm very picky and choosy about who I put on my show to begin with. I mean, a lot of my show is based off of language learning uh, from my own experience, being visually impaired and using audio methods and non-visual methods and um, interviewing people um, who have learned, you know, languages and use them not only just in academic, but other other ways as well. Right. right. So, yeah. So I said, all right. And, and then, too, on top of that, like, I don't get to interview a lot of people from, like, um, from the U.S., you know, okay. that actually live in the U.S., that actually do learn languages. And, I mean, most of the people, you know, they're from Europe or I've had a couple people from, like, Asia and in that vicinity of the world, a couple people from, like, uh, Brazil, but overall, Europe. It's <laughs> interesting. It's interesting that, um, well, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but I guess in my opinion, it's a little unfortunate that language learning in the United States isn't um, as popular a hobby or pastime as it is, as it seems to be in other places. It, it seems to be, in my opinion, uh, more popular in Europe. That's the only other, well, in Latin America is where I, another place I've re, uh, experienced, but it doesn't seem to be very popular in the United States or in where I've been in Latin America. But, um, it does seem to be popular in Europe. And, and I wonder now, actually talking to you, if that's because I tend to seek out people with similar interests when I'm traveling. Because in America, since I started studying languages and got to college, um, there was a time in my life when almost none of my friends, American or not, were monolingual. But that was also because I sought those people out and surrounded myself with them. So I, I wonder how popular it is in Europe as well. Do you see what I mean? Right. You know, it, but it's kind of funny since being in the language learning community for the past four years, mm-hmm. studying languages myself independently, um, you know, I found that being African-American, you know, I didn't realize that there were as many African-Americans in the U.S. studying, you know, languages as a hobby at all until this year. You mean you didn't understand, you didn't? Realize that there was many African Americans studying languages as a hobby? Right. Okay. Because they weren't visible. Okay. And so you saw a lot of Caucasians from the U.S. if you were in groups. Okay. Or Canada, Europe, uh, a lot of people kind of like floating over in Asia somewhere. Um, 
But otherwise, like, I mean, I knew about Moses. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah, he comes, he, he, he I was going to ask you if you knew about him, because he, currently he's, um, I'm sure I've met others, but he's almost the only one I can think of as well, actually. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's, I wasn't aware of that, actually. Right. I had, like, I'd never heard of that. Like, and it's, I, oh, mm-hmm. go on. If I, um, like, for instance, I've been, um, I went to um, Women in Language this year for the first time online, and I met so many different people. Come to find out, like, half of the people that were registered for that event by itself was from the U.S. And I would have thought that most of it would have come from, like, Europe. Not really. I would have thought that as well, actually. Yeah, I mean, it blew my mind when they told us the statistics. I was blown away. So, evidently, they're around. You mean Americans or African Americans? Just in general. I think, well, you know, the... As I have seen in my lifetime, I'm in my early 30s. Right. Or, yeah, we're going to say early 30s. <laughs> um, I uh, I think that, again, I don't know if it's because who I'm seeking out or if it really is becoming a larger hobby as it becomes easier and easier to uh, to study abroad through school programs and through exchange programs. Because that's... That's how I learned my first language to what I would consider fluent was through an exchange program in high school. Uh, and I think that I wonder if that's just a factor because it does. The language gatherings that I was at in Europe um, seemed to have a large number of Americans and, and that surprised me as well. And, and it didn't seem to be people that you would really necessarily expect they seem just like average people, not like nerdy academic types, although there was some of that as well. Right. You know. um, yeah, I, I've always wanted someone's take on what the conferences were like from that angle because, I mean, you hear Ollie and them talk about it, but it's, you know, it's not like from a, a looking in from the outside point of view, I would say. Like, if the people were to sit there and, like, evaluate, like, well, this type of, you know, you had a little bit of everybody up in here. Well, but who's a little bit of everything? The the conferences that I was at, two in Berlin. Mm -hmm. And, um... I don't remember the breakdown of the statistics. I don't remember the, how it was broken down by nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a large number of Europeans and Germans there, but, you know, it was in Berlin, so that made sense. Right. Uh, there was also a large number of Americans, although, like I said, I don't remember. Um, uh, I would say probably at least a third were Americans, but... Um, I I wouldn't you know I wouldn't want to be quoted on that so right. I'm just going I'm going to estimate that probably a third were Americans there were a few from Asia I don't remember anyone from Africa but there probably were uh and 
there were some people who I know had originally come from places in Latin America, um, Brazil and uh, Colombia. But I think because Europe is so kind of clustered together and you kind of can go from one country to another, like it's nothing. Uh Um, It's easier for people to be able to speak multiple languages, especially if you're like somewhere like, I don't know, Luxembourg, where they speak like four or five languages off the bat. Uh It's nothing. Yeah. If you're you're in Russia, for instance, you can forget it because there might be 145 million people. But unless you are traveling outside of Russia every day for business, you're going to learn English, but you're not going to learn it to an extent where you're going to be considered fluent. And I mean, because I've talked to a lot of Russians and that is the one thing that they say that they have a problem with is because they're not they don't need to use it because. You know, they have their native tongue. They don't, you know, it's not as, you know, important for them to, to use it like we would use it every day. And if they well, do they, use it, it's for like certain careers, like if you're going into government or you're like in the bigger cities. But if you're in the smaller cities, you know, outside of like St. Petersburg or Moscow, a lot of them don't speak English, you know, because there's no need to, you know, unless they're going um, on vacation somewhere where there's English that's spoken. And I've seen that with certain people I've had conversations with. They're like, I've been trying to learn English for four years. And, you know, they don't have as much exposure, I would think, to English-speaking people, especially if they want to learn American English uh-huh. in particular. Now, Great Britain, yeah, they would have exposure for academic purposes, but when it comes down to actual speaking and becoming proficient, that's another story altogether different. And then they wind up giving up because they just don't have, you know, people around them, you know, to, to speak with unless they go online. Um, well, I can sympathize with that. (laughs) I know how discouraging it feels to study a language for years and not feel like you're making any progress. Um, I never really, like I said just a few minutes ago, I never reached any level of fluency until I, uh, went to the country. In this case, it was Mexico Mm -hmm. and, and learned Spanish by being around it all the time. Now, you know, you don't need to go to another country to learn the language fluently. That's something right. that a lot of Americans who don't have a lot of experience learning languages, they think that you have to do that, and you don't. But it helps, of course. Um, but, you know, like, even kind of like what you were saying about Russia reminds me a little bit of um, uh, people who here in the United States who study... You know, probably most people, I would imagine, can can speak some Spanish. When I say some, I mean, like, they can count to ten. Uh, That's bad. (laughs) (laughs) But even, like, I live down in Texas right now. Right. And most of the, I hear Spanish every, well, I hear Spanish every day because I I work in it. But even if I didn't work in it, uh, I would still hear it every day at the grocery store or at the park. 
and just out, you know, just being around people. But uh, there still aren't. It's still not a commonly used language for a lot of uh, uh, native um, white Texans, you know, for right. to, to not put too fine a point on it. And you would think that in a border region, I mean, I'm sure there's more per capita than there are in other parts of the country, but you would think that for a nation, for a, not a nation, for a state that has such a, um, uh, well, that's a border state. Right. More people would be bilingual, and in some parts they are, but not right. not to the degree that one would expect. Right, they're probably speaking Spanglish. Well, there's it's yeah, they're speaking a var- variation of Spanish. The, in the Spanish that I work with, um, is a it's a, a Tex-Mex version of Spanish. Right. Um, we were, I was just talking about that the other day with someone who's from an area called the Valley, which is mm-hmm. the region of Texas that is a. a Primarily Spanish speaking, I believe. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly where it is because I'm not from the state originally. But uh, he was. We we're talking about the variations of uh, Spanish that is that is like unique to that region, and it's kind of interesting. Um, but it's still Spanish. It's just a different dialect of it. It's not. Right. I would hear it more Spanish than I would English. Right. I mean, because I learned Spanish when I was in um, college, 19 mm-hmm. years ago, and I had nothing but you know. My professor was from Mexico. He's from Mexico. And um, then I had a, another woman that was Mexican-American. Then I had a tutor that was African-American. And he spoke fluent Spanish, Italian, and French. Yeah. I mean, but he was so good that he was writing comic books in the language himself. Yeah. Yeah. He was over in Spain and everything. And then he he had his master's in Spanish history. And so he was like, you're really good with languages. And I was like, yeah, but at the time, it, Spanish wasn't the go-to de facto language I wanted. I wanted, like, Russian, Italian, French. But because my community college didn't offer it, I had to take Spanish. So I made the best of it. And I found elements of the language that I liked. I liked the music, the fashion, um, the food, the dancing, the people. Sure, sure. But I'm not really like, okay, I want to have like a three-hour conversation in Spanish. Yeah. No. I um, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this in the interview that you said that I did with um, Kasten, um, like three, two, three years ago. I don't. It's been a while now. But uh, to me, languages have personalities. Right. Almost to the point where sometimes I think the language chooses me rather than the other way around. Because I'll have a list of languages that I want to learn. Right. And then suddenly something comes up and I end up in, you know, say that I'm wanting to learn French, for example. And it's my, it's my language. It's a, it's a big language. It's a, it's a very useful language. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's easy to find resources for. And then all of a sudden something happens and I find that I'm actually learning Norwegian or Dutch. Um, Oh, I have that wrong. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's, it's a good problem to have, but uh, what I was going to say was, like, these languages, they all have personalities. Uh, to me, a language is a really, it's a, it's a living, breathing thing. It, you know, when you think about it, a language is created from parent languages. You know, it evolves. Um, it, ha- it is influenced, so you can say it's born, it lives, and then eventually it usually dies uh, throughout human history. Um, 
and it's an ex- it expresses itself. Well, people express themselves through it, I should say. So, in a, in a way, to me, it seems like it has a it's almost a living creature. Right. Um, but uh, when I started learning Spanish, it was kind of like how you said it was the only one that was offered in my school for a long time, and when I got to high school. I uh, was able to take French, but I wanted to learn other things. I wanted to learn French. I eventually uh, became very interested in German and Japanese. And I never, in my, for most of my life, had really any interest in Spanish. I, uh, when I was an exchange student, I actually requested to go to uh, Germany or Belgium or Japan. Or I didn't really. I asked for Ecuador because I thought Spanish might be useful. But I never really wanted to learn it. And so when I found out that I was going to Mexico, to be honest, I was kind of disappointed. Like, why do I don't want to go to Mexico? It's 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 right. It's right across the street, so to speak. Right. Uh, I want to go someplace further away and I want to learn a language that is more exotic and to me is less um, boring than a language I hear about all the time here in America. Like, I don't hear German all the time. So I was very um disenchanted with the language for most of my life. Uh, but, wow. but what? I definitely can relate to that. But oh you know, God, I can relate to that. It, but to me, it's as, as I've worked with it more, and what I do now is I'm a, I'm a translator. I translate mm-hmm. Spanish and German and I've developed a much deeper appreciation for the language. I've lived in the culture when I say the culture, I'm speaking very broadly. I lived in Mexico for a year, and then I lived in uh, Peru for a little over two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen very little of Latin America, but I've spent three years in that region, um, in in two countries anyways. Mm-hmm. And I uh, came to like it more. I came to, to have a, a deeper appreciation for it. But coming back to what I mean about personalities is, some languages I feel super close to, like they're we're really good friends. You know, like if they were a person, if they were a woman, for example. And other languages are we're just buddies. And for me, right. Spanish is a language where Spanish and I are really good work partners. And we might go and get a beer after work at a happy hour, but we're never going to be close friends. You know, right. we're going to be. Uh, whereas German, you know, I feel like I could marry German. That's <laughs> a language that like it just gets into my soul. Spanish is fun to speak. I enjoy being able to use it. Um, but some people have that zeal and that that flair for Latin and Hispanic culture and the food and the music. Um, and I don't. I and there's right. nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't you know, it just doesn't wave my flag like it does others. It's not something that you can force. You either develop it or you're born with it or or you aren't. Right. Now I do have to say that's mm-hmm. how I feel about Russian. <laughs> I love Russian. I eat, drink, sleep, breathe it for like three years straight. And I, that was the first language I ever taught myself. When you find and, a language like that, it's it's a special thing. Oh, and see, I still want to go to Russia. I have no passport yet. I'm working on it. Okay. But I, 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 I want to go to Russia. I want to go to France. I want to go to Italy. I want to you know, bum around in London. Have you been to Europe before? Oh, you see, you don't have a passport, so I guess. No, I don't have a passport yet. Um, you know, I want to do all these things. Now, right now, I'm in that 
little realm of you want to study a language because um, you like it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, you hear people say, oh, well, it's too hard. And then you go, well, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. It's not hard. I'm going to learn this just to prove to you it's not it's not hard. Yeah. And I did that. I Actually, it was kind of funny. Um, I wanted to learn a little bit of Icelandic. And because it was a Germanic language, I picked, you know, I was picking stuff up left and right because it was so similar to English and German. Um, I was like, oh, this is easy. Oh, this is easy. Oh, this. And then one night I was listening to Professor Arguelles on YouTube, and he had did this um, YouTube series where he documented his time in Finland this summer. Mm-hmm. And I literally was inspired to learn Finnish. So I, down, I downloaded the Finnish course onto my Mango app, and I start, I learned, like, hi and my name is uh-huh. and like i went to bed with moi and allen in my head and a few other phrases and then when i woke up i remembered them and i wrote him and said i'm gonna learn some basic finish because you inspired me I, you know i like the fact that you can go and go somewhere and you can learn from other people you're not learning from a textbook or anything it's just uh-huh. you're just doing it from experience, insight, and, and the people around you. Like, they took him into a forest and told him in Finnish, showed him the trees, the different trees, the different roots, and what they were used for, you know, what this root was for this particular thing, and this was for that, and you don't want to touch this because of this. And he went into a class with a bunch of kids. I mean, he absorbed so much information. And he was speaking and repeating and listening after, you know, the teachers and the people around them. And he picked up so much in such a short amount of time. I was like, I want to do that. I think that learning languages, um, I think there's certainly an aptitude for it that some people have stronger than others. Um, some people, uh, you know, have a predisposition for sports or uh, um, for art. I, I do think that there is something to that. I know a lot of people are like, no, you can learn anything you want. And I think you can to a degree, but um, but some people just have a, an ability for it. That said, for learning a language, I also think, though, that if you had put Professor Arguelles out there in that Finnish forest, back when he was a teenager, he probably wouldn't have had that skill. I think that the more you study languages, the more you exercise that that muscle, so to speak. Right. And kind of know what to listen for, what to... You have a better understanding of how grammar works, and even if you have not studied a given language, or even a related language, the the grammatical concepts might be similar to one that you've already studied, so that you already have an encyclopedia of uh, references that you could draw from and compare to. Right. Uh, um, plus, you know, I think some people are naturally better at mimicking sounds and stuff, and uh, obviously languages are more than sounds, but the right. the more languages you, you learn and the better your pronunciation gets in, in the various languages and the more phonemes that you're exposed to... Uh, the easier it is for you to replicate those, and I would 
I would assume easier it is to, I don't know about memorize, to remember them, but uh, uh, you would have a, a, a familiarity or a comfort with the language a lot quicker than someone who's just brand new to learning languages. Right. And, um, I mean, for me personally, like, Russian was my fourth. Uh-huh. So I learned American Sign Language when I was a kid. Someone taught uh-huh. it to me. I didn't learn it in school. And I was fluent, but then over time, when you're not around a lot of deaf people or deaf-blind people, you kind of lose a lot of it. Yeah. And then I, I, I know a bit. I would, I would consider it beginner now that I'm 42. I'm not 10 anymore. So, and I haven't worked with it in about 20 years. But I You're did run in American Silent, yeah. Okay. So I did run into someone that was deaf, and I did introduce myself and, and sign to them. And they were very impressed that I knew some still after all this time. And I said, well, just because you don't remember everything you learned back then, that doesn't mean that you're not going to remember something. There's going to be some part of it that's going to remain in your brain. It's it's probably locked and dormant. Uh But if you reactivate it, it probably won't take you as long to get back to where you were prior to you not using it. There's a... Oh, go on. So, yeah, I, I... That was my first language besides English, and then I learned Spanish in college, and then I went on to do Russian... And then I, I taught myself basic Dutch, Italian, and French. And the French and Italian were like a duck to water because I already knew Spanish. Mm-hmm. And then I could understand and read in Brazilian Portuguese, and I could read in Romanian. So it was just like, oh, well, this is just easy. And the Dutch was simple because it's like English. You know, grammar was, it wasn't that difficult to pick up. And I have a high passive level in a lot of these European languages without even being able to speak them because they're so similar to each other. Like I might not speak Danish, Norwegian, or Swedish, but I can understand what they say. So, yeah, it it, it was, yeah. The, um, I read somewhere on a forum that I'm not even sure is even there anymore. It was called howtolearnanylanguage.com. I used to be a, a fairly active member of that, and then, you know, things happen in life. But I remember a, a post there. Someone wrote, they were talking about um, rehydrating polyglot skills or dehydrating polyglot skills. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I don't remember how they worded it precisely, but I remember liking the phrase, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it meant, what they meant though, was is if you learn a language well, even if you're not fluent, but you, what you learned, you learned well, and then you forget it because of years of not using it. When you are exposed to it again, it's like what you were saying earlier. You can learn it. It comes back very quickly. Like what to, what might have taken you three years to learn comes back within two weeks if you're exposed to it regularly, say. Right, right. And I've seen that happen in myself as well. Like with my German right now, even though I use it as a translator, I use it like maybe uh, 
not even a fraction of the amount that I use Spanish. And even then, it's it's mostly passive stuff, and you're translating. It's it's just the written stuff. Interpreting is the spoken stuff. Sometimes people get right. both confused. So I don't have a lot of I don't produce a lot of German actively. I speak with a few friends online, but it's not. Um, we don't talk all day. It's only a few messages here and there. Um, and it's never really something that's extremely challenging. It's more of, you know, everyday things. And it's not like a necessarily a deep talk that goes on for hours and hours and hours. Sometimes it is, but the point is, is with German and with, uh, Spanish, um, back before I was using Spanish regularly and, um, uh, Esperanto, which I learned back in high school. I've at some point or another, I've forgotten all those languages to a large degree. And then when I get to using them again, uh, they come right back within, I don't know, not uh, probably a couple of weeks. So I don't really worry too much about, to me, I want to learn languages until the day I'm dead, basically. And I don't, I don't really care if, uh, I forget a language because I've seen from experience that, uh, it comes right back. It's not really truly forgotten. It's just rusted over and in stasis. Right. Now, have you, um, I kind of developed my own mindset when I'm in a particular language. Like, I don't let any other language, not even my own mother tongue, interfere while mm-hmm. I'm speaking. I literally focus my brain on that language. Like, I don't let anything bleed into it while I'm talking to the person. Because sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, words here and there can just pop up mm-hmm. in your head while you're speaking. You might be thinking in French. And then Spanish would come up. Uh-huh. Like, I, I like I literally was able to train my brain to keep focused on that language. So for every language I've been learning, even if it's a one, um, uh-huh. I stick in that that mindset. Like, I don't know if you've ever, like, experienced anything like that. No, not really. Um, if I'm starting out in a new language and I'm trying to speak it, my strongest L2 might come up and contaminate it. And, for example, that was what was happening. I never got very far in Dutch. um, Not yet, anyways. I I still plan on going back and learning it. But uh, I noticed that when I would speak Dutch or practice it uh, or practice what I I had learned with a a Dutch friend of mine, um, it was always strongly influenced by how I would speak German. Right, because they're so similar. They're so similar, and if I'm not sure how a word is pronounced, I'm going to put a a German twist on it. Right. Just out of habit. Right. Uh, and even if the languages aren't related, like I saw that when I was living in Germany, uh, my German became my stronger language at that point, and my Spanish was uh, atrophying. Right. So when I went back to, I met a Mexican dude in my. Uh, uh, Studentenwohnheim, uh, mm-hmm. student dorm, mm-hmm. and uh, I got a chance to speak Spanish again, but it was coming out in German grammar. So for like the way the Germans do their numbers, for instance, be instead of um, instead of saying you're 22, you say you're two and 20. And I was saying that in Spanish. I was saying I'm two and 20. So it was coming out in Spanish, but <laughs> with German right. syntax. So, no, uh, to answer your question, no, I've never really been able to separate languages that well, at least at the beginning. When I get to know them better, 
then I can compartmentalize them better. But that mindset that you're describing has never really been one that uh, I've had. Now, when I am speaking a language that I am starting to learn well, it does become a lot easier to think in that language and, right. and rely just in that language um, as much as I can. And especially um, now that I've studied several languages and speak three, uh, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to get into that mindset a lot quicker because like I was saying earlier, it's a muscle that I've exercised for the past, I guess now it would be over half my life. So for the past yeah. 17 years. Yeah, I've come to the, and it's kind of funny because I came to the party late when it came to be an um, independent language learner. Uh-huh. Uh, four years ago, I was 38, now I'm 42. But uh-huh. in four years, I was able to pretty much basically teach myself one full language to mastery, um, which was That's, Russian. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, Russian, I was so in love with it, I would be like 18 hours a day listening mm-hmm. for a whole year. With I would watch Putin stuff. I would watch uh, Russian TV shows. Their talk shows are hilarious. Um. I would watch their dramas. I would watch YouTube stuff. And it got to the point where, like, at 2.30 one night, I was up, and I couldn't sleep. So I was in there watching this woman. She was Russian, and her daughter was half British, half Russian, and the husband was British. And he was trying to speak. You know, he they would ask him questions, you know, where is he from in Russia? And I had listened so much that I was able to interpret what they were saying to him and vice versa. And, you know, I had that feeling in my head where my head popped. I felt a pop in my head, like the eureka moment of understanding everything that was being said. Because I had listened to so much of it. Passively, I didn't realize how much information I had in my head until that night. Mm -hmm. And, I mean... Like I was laughing so hard because his pronunciation was bad. It was it was hilarious. Like, but um, I I had that eureka moment, and then last year when I spoke to my ex boyfriend's mother, who speaks no English, she only speaks German and Russian, uh-huh. and I realized what my method of madness was then. I don't. I can't speak to somebody that speaks a language other than their mother tongue. If I want to reinforce everything that I've learned, if they speak English to me, even in the remote one or two words, it throws me off. Uh-huh. So I have to literally not have anybody that speaks English that I talk to because I'm able to focus more on having the conversation and pulling out everything because it's forcing me not to use English at all. Uh And someone said, how the hell do you do that? I'm like, well, you know, I can't read the words on the screen. I'm going by the person's voice and their intonation and I'm listening very intensely to what they're saying. And I'm forcing myself to pull the words out of my head that I know. And that makes you really realize just how much you've retained over so long just from, you know, 
listening and speaking. I did a year of speaking, and then I did a year of listening. When I was living in Mexico, uh, I was 17. So that was, yeah, I was 17 years old. Um, and almost no one I was down there with spoke any English. A few people spoke pretty decent English, and one family there spoke English. Their kids all spoke English like native speakers because the father had done a a master's or a PhD, I think it was a master's, but some kind of form of education in England for three years, and he took his whole family with him. So his whole family spoke good English, um, and his kids especially spoke English without any, they spoke with these really cool British accents. Um, but it, other than that, it was, and I didn't speak any Spanish to speak of. I spoke, well, that's not true. I, I had, a, I'd had a year of Spanish in high school, plus the stuff that you pick up, uh, right. in grade school, but that still wasn't very much. It was maybe, I would estimate maybe a hundred or 150 words and 50 verbs and right. basic, basic conjugations, no past conjugations, anything right. like that. So I went down there as a practical monolingual in a practically monolingual environment. And uh, the host family I lived with, the, I, I lived with uh, three host families, one for a couple of weeks as I got oriented, and then I spent the rest of my year with two host families almost equally split up. In, in terms of time, but the uh, mother of the first family, of the first family that I uh, lived with, I would get home from school uh, and I would have uh, lunch with her because the schedules were a little different down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would make, she or the, the lady working at the house would uh, make us lunch and I would, she would ask me questions about my day and even though my Spanish was awful, uh, I was forced to tell her about things that were going on. And even though I don't think she was interested at all in <laughs> the world beyond her own hometown where she lived, she, to her credit, she was very patient and she never like just kind of brushed me off. She would always ask me questions. She would always take an interest in me. Um, and in a lot of ways, even though by the time I left her house around Christmas time, I still felt like my Spanish was pretty basic. Uh, I could say that she probably was the one who uh, really was my first Spanish teacher. Right. So um, the point of that story is, is people I found are meant to communicate. They're, they're designed to communicate. And if they don't have a common language, they soon will. Right. And in the meantime, they are able to express a lot through body language and intonation, like what you were just saying. Right. It's, I was surprised with her. He didn't speak any English, and I was, like I said, almost monolingual at the time. And it surprised me even then how much we were able to convey back and forth. I don't recall. I mean, obviously, there were communication difficulties, but I don't recall ever feeling just completely screwed. <laughs> Um, in terms of language. So I, uh, and I, and I had confidence that I would learn it. That's another thing that I think right. people need to, if they're going to go into learning a language, they need to believe that they can learn it because they can. It language, learning a language isn't really, 
It's difficult, but it's not. It's difficult right. because it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of um, time. It doesn't necessarily take a lot of money, but it can. It depends on the language. It depends on where you are, I guess. You know, the resources. It, the resources. But it's not really, and especially if you're, depending on also the level you want to get, it isn't that difficult to get to a level where you can communicate. Right. Um, especially if you want to communicate at like a low intermediate level. Yeah. I mean, no. if, you don't want, if you don't want to go to full mastery, that's fine. Even if you want to be a conversational level, that's even fine. Yeah. You know, it does take time. And, you know, like I, the first book I ever read, um, I think it was the polyglot story. Um, the one where they, they, they had, um, what was it? Moses was in it, Ollie Richards was in it, Lindsay Williams was in it, Benny. Oh, oh, you mean, um, Babel No More? Yeah, I think so. By Michael Arad, the, he goes and he, like, interviews and profiles all these polyglots throughout the world and throughout history. I think so. It was a book. I, all I know is I read it in five and a half hours. <laughs> I couldn't put it down. But this um, is, this, the, there was two stories in that whole entire book that mm-hmm. stood out to me. Okay. David James, for which I interviewed, and Moses McCormick. Uh-huh. Now, I love listening to everybody else's, but guess what? I can go on YouTube and look at the same thing. And I felt that their stories were great, but it just, it didn't, I was completely transformed by, like, David James' story because it felt like a spy novel, you know? I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I, I know who both of them are, and I've spoken with Moses a little bit. But I don't know, and I've met uh, David. I don't like in passing. I met him on the conferences, but I don't know their stories. So I would maybe um, we're talking different books, I guess. Um, um, what? I know that it was like a series of of, of stories, okay. and it was like the first polyglot anything I ever read. Then I got a free copy of um, Fluent Three Months, and I read it. And the only thing I took out of it was, okay, speak from day one. Okay. <laughs> I, It was okay, but I just wasn't, I don't know. It just, it didn't grab me as much, I don't think. Wasn't three months one by uh, Vinny uh, Moss? Vinny, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, his story of how he learned all those languages were interesting, but I guess, you know, if you're writing something, I want to be hooked from, like, the first page on. Mm-hmm. And if it's just like, well, this is how you do this and this is how you do that, I'm going to be bored out of my mind. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've read um, uh, Not a Year Off by Lindsay Williams this summer. And I did a review on my show about that book. I couldn't put it down. I read it in 24 hours. What, what was the name of the book? Not a year off. Ninety year old. Not a year off. Oh, not a year off. Okay. Yeah, and you can find it on Amazon. And she, I, I bought the book and I read it, and it was so well done. Like I felt for her a few times. There was a few places she was at. She got sick, and 
But you're talking about someone that loves languages. That girl could speak so many languages to very degrees. You know, languages I wouldn't have even thought about learning. You know, her and her husband went all over, like, the world for a whole year. And they documented it. And, uh, yeah, I had the opportunity to interview her and um, Kirsten um, last year, along with Shannon Kennedy. And I, I do have to say that, for me, I think a lot of people look at these people who are on the Internet on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and they see like the final product of what they've accomplished and then they try to put themselves up against that not realizing how long it took for them to get to where they are and then they had to start from absolutely nothing to get you know to the success that they you know have today in in regards to their language learning or anything else that they're doing in regards to language learning. Um, I see that a lot with a lot of um, people. It's like they stress themselves out mm-hmm. because they want perfection. Right. Said, well, do you, can you take a deep breath for a minute? It's a language. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> you know. And I mean, I, I tell people that all the time. Why are you racing for? Um, are you, you learning it because you need it for a job? Now, I could see if you needed it for a job in six months, you got to be at B1. Okay. That, that, that's achievable. You know? Mm-hmm. But it, I think it depends on the language that you're studying. You know, the shortcuts that you take. You know... The, the most oh my okay I'm sorry you're right yeah um I was my TV was on Netflix and I accidentally pressed a button on my control my Apple TV control and it started speaking in Spanish <laughs> I was like, what the hell is that? Yeah. Because I live in I live in an apartment building with a bunch of elderly people and you never know what goes on around here from one moment to the next. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm thinking, Oh, what's that noise? And then I turn around and it's my T V. <laughs> but um so for me, like I just noticed that from people that they, they have this idea that they're supposed to be perfect when they're speaking the language that there's I'm like do you understand that people don't have time for you to look up a phrase on a phone in order to say it to them in person it if you go to a grocery store and it's a Thai grocery store and you're learning Thai and you want to practice your your Thai well learn how much stuff costs learn certain foods your basic readings, and then go and do it. That's, that's, well, what you're talking about right there, I think, is something that I wish was taught more, uh, in, in schools. Cause honestly, you know, 
you and I both know that most people are never going to go and teach themselves languages just because it's just not something that most people go and do for fun. No. But for people, so in school, if they want to help people get better at languages, um, and maybe they do do it now, to be fair. I don't know. I don't remember them doing it when I was there, but teach them about learning things in, in context rather than like just word lists. And I guess they do do it to a point like words for, you know, items you can see in a classroom. But that can be, um, that can be, uh, spread out through a the entire thing. Right. You know, um, there's books that you can get that are, instead of being dictionaries, like I remember one time, you know, a long time ago, but back when I was still figuring out how to learn languages, someone asked me, do you think it would be a good idea just to memorize the dictionary? You know, a Spanish uh, fiction. It's like, well, no, no, I don't think that actually. Um, but getting a, um, a book of the grammar, or not grammar, but vocabulary that's been, um, divided into thema- uh, to subjects, themes, uh, would, I think, save a lot of time. Right. Or, student. Bye what they're interested in and I mean because if you're dealing with young teenagers they're not thinking about grammar they find it to be boring anyway you know why the hell am I here for oh my god this is 50 minutes of hell mm-hmm. and this is in the back of their head you know I'd rather be out doing whatever right you know, so, I mean, make it interesting. If they like Japanese and you're teaching them Japanese, use anime, use manga, you know, use some movies, some some comic books or something. Keep their attention on something that's fun, and they'll like it. You know, mm-hmm. video games, you know. Um, I mean, like, right now I'm learning Hindi, Japanese, and Egyptian Arabic. And I don't find it to be difficult because I find things that interest me, per se. Netflix is my friend. Uh-huh. And I've been watching Terrace House. Terrace House in Tokyo. Terrace House, Hawaii State. And I've been watching movies with English subtitles, having voiceover read it to me. And then once I watch the whole show, let's say it's like 10 episodes or something, I'll watch it with the English subtitles, get the whole gist of the movie, the show. Then I'll go back and I'll turn them off. And then I'll just listen to the whole entire thing in Japanese. Yeah. Because I already know what's going to happen. That I think is a good, um, that's actually one of the reasons why I encourage people, uh, if they're asking me for advice, to not be scared of reading translations, um, even reading, you know, translate books that aren't from that culture. For example, reading a Dan Brown book in Spanish, because right. it's easy if you can find a Dan Brown or a Stephen King book in German, you definitely can find it in English. You know, right. finding finding it in German is the hard part, although that's not as hard as it used to be. No. Um, but if you read a book, you know, or a TV show, but I usually just go by books, so that's what I'm familiar with. Right. Um, if you are already familiar with the story, 
then when you're reading it in the other language, their, your target language, uh, you don't have to focus on the story so much. Um, hopefully, this, if it, the story isn't engaging, you shouldn't be reading it for a language book. But if it's engaging, you've got that going for you. And you already know the story to begin with, so you can just focus on how things are said. And right. you'll find that you retain more. You won't memorize the whole book unless you no. read it many, many, many times. But you will learn. You'll pick up a lot. Well, you know, okay, people think I'm nuts because I have Harry Potter in so many languages. Yeah. But I've listened to Harry Potter, like, in English already, the Jim Dale version. Yeah, I have already, I listened, I binged the whole thing for the second time, uh, this summer. And now I got the, the German versions. I've been listening to those in German this summer. Like, I have them in French, Italian, Norwegian, Russian, Swedish. The audio versions or the print versions? Yes, yeah, yeah, the audio. Because okay. um, a friend of mine let me you take everything off his hard drive. Okay. And then he gave me one in Icelandic. I bought the Finnish ebooks. I have two ebooks in one ebook, two ebooks in Dutch, two in Norwegian, one in Swedish, two in Brazilian Portuguese, all seven in Italian, Russian, and Romanian, because somebody was nice enough to give them to me. And then um I plan on getting the audiobooks um, in Japanese and in Arabic because uh, I found them on Pottermore. Okay. Um, but I'm going to get them one at a time. <laughs> uh, and I usually start in the middle of the series, like book four. And then I go down. I got like book three through seven, to be honest. So... um I have them in Turkish and Polish as well. And now that iOS 13 came out today, I was able to download the Braille tables for my phone. So when I hook my display up to my phone, I can go to whatever table I want and I can read that book from books on my phone in that language on my display. And it'll read me on voiceover in the language. It won't be English synthesized. It'll be Japanese, for instance. Uh-huh. I'll be reading Japanese Braille and listening to Japanese audio at the same time, even though it's an ebook. So I'm quite happy about that. Um, now that they've gotten technology to the point where I can just buy ebooks now and, and, and read into my heart's content, like I told Dr. Krashen about three months ago uh, when I interviewed him. Um, I have to say, though, I do read other things. Like, I read Il Padrino over the summer. Like, it took me, like, three weeks to read The Godfather in Italian. Uh-huh. And I never read it in Italian. I mean, first of all, I never read it in English. Uh-huh. Because I watched the movie so much. Uh-huh. So... I was just completely happy to get through 576 pages of Italian. And that was the first book I ever read in Italian from beginning to end. So for me, that was a big, huge goal that I set for myself over the summer, along with getting through the first Hunger Games book, because I have them in Italian ebook. And so I was very happy to say to myself, 
I got through a couple books this year in in one particular language. And I was able to understand like 80 to 90% of it. So I, for me, and when I stress on my show, people, choose small goals when you're starting out in your target language. Like, let's say in two weeks you want to be able to introduce yourself, tell where you're from, what you do, what your hobbies are, stuff like that. You know, or you want to go to a restaurant. Well, learn the the vocabulary for that. Learn the phrases for that. And then go to the restaurant and practice. Uh I did it in Cantonese after doing A1 Cantonese on the Mango app. Took me six weeks to do that. I was 10 chapters, did it. And then I picked up the phone because I was hungry and I didn't feel like cooking. And I ordered me some... Chinese food and Cantonese. Now, the person knew Mandarin, but she understood my Cantonese. I gave her my name, my address, my telephone number, what I wanted to eat. I thanked her and everything in Cantonese. That's awesome. That was a goal of mine. I accomplished it. Have I picked up Cantonese since February? No. Do I remember everything? Yeah. I mean, I still practice it from time to time. Like last night, I was trying to remember what English was in Cantonese and his Yingmong. Well, I lay down and I'm sitting there thinking and I'm trying not to think in English. I'm thinking in Cantonese. For some reason, it just came in my head. Like, I saw it in my brain and it just popped and I was like, yes, I remember now. So now I'm getting to the point where instead of me trying to think in English what this word is, I'm thinking in the target language. Even though it's at a A1 going into A2 level. Uh-huh. You know. So, I mean, I, I, I try to, um, expand my mind, like, to see how much I can push my brain in regards to how much information I can get into it at one time. So, um, I don't know if you joined Ollie Richard's, um, Fluency Mastermind group on Facebook or not. But I had a video of me speaking in Japanese after one week. And I used the Foundation Michelle Thomas course, and I did it in seven hours. Uh I broke it up, of course, three and a half hours. And then I took a break because I didn't have a choice. My brain was about to die. And then I went back and I did the other part. And then I did a little video after that. And then I did a couple chapters on Mango to refresh what I had learned from Michelle Thomas to make sure I, I still remembered it. And then at the end of the week, I shot a video in the group. And that video garnered over 500 views. People were like, what the hell? That's amazing. And I'm like, well, a lot of it was because I was motivated. Mm-hmm. And you have to be motivated. And I, I tell people that all the time, just like I did the foundation for Arabic in four days, I think. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go, I'm going to go back because there's certain things that I, I you mean the, the Michelle Thomas foundation. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I, have, I, really, I, mm-hmm. I was going to say, I really like Michelle Thomas courses, the ones that I've used. Um, I think they're a really good introduction to a language and they take you a little bit beyond that as well. They're, but, 
I, uh, I done it for French and I did a little bit for Dutch before I went into the Glossica. Started right. using, uh, uh, Glossica for Dutch and I, I think they're great. Right. I, well, right now I'm a consultant for them, um, in conjunction because of the accessibility, um, on the accessibility side of things because a lot of their, um, like their, um, documents are in PDF format. So I'm working with Sarah Cole to see if they can add a TXT file for PC for Windows uh-huh. and then a rich text format for Mac and iOS users because when you download the information from the courses, in PDF, the screen readers and the Braille displays that people use can't pick up the PDF. It just looks like a blank page, even though there's words on the screen. Mm-hmm. And then they would have to, like, download Adobe Acrobat Reader, or they would have to open it up in Safari for the Mac or Windows Explorer for the PC. And that's just too much to have to go through to try to read a document that's not really accessible. And so we're doing that and then I'm also um doing a little contest on the show where I'm trying to get people to um tell me why they want to use the Michelle Thomas Polish course. Why they want to learn Polish with using the course. If they can give me the most creative idea, I'll give them a thirty five percent off code that they can use to purchase the foundation or the intermediate course for Polish. And this is in conjunction with the fact that the Polyglot Gathering next year is going to be in Poland. Oh, you're right. I had forgotten about it. I, I, I do remember hearing that it was going to be in Poland. Right. So I decided, well, why not get a jump start on it and see how many people would want to take the plunge and learn Polish. With using Michelle Thomas to get started. And so, um, and then I get like every time someone buys a course and they use my name and they just cut off the E at the end, mm-hmm. um, they get 35% off of a course of their choice. And I get something on the back end, of course. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm doing that while I'm reviewing their courses as well, and I'm able to interview their um, teachers and the people behind the scenes who who create the courses as well. Right. So I, because I did the interview with Sarah Cole on Tuesday, I'm just waiting for the teacher for the Japanese course to get back with me. Um, to set up a time to do an interview. Um, and once a month, I'm going to do a review of a Michelle Thomas course in an interview with the teacher that helped create the course. Because you really don't get to hear from the people who actually did the course, like, you know, took it from the beginning stages of conception and made it a reality with the students and so forth. And, I mean, okay, Ollie Richards did his little 20-minute documentary because he was a student for the Korean course back in January, which that's not coming out until next year. Um, But I I did want to interview him, but he's not accepting any interviews right now because of everything he's doing. 
with his Japanese Uncovered coming out and the books that he just put out, which I just bought. Uh-huh. Um, his one-on-one simple conversations in Spanish, German, Italian, English, and French. So I got all the books minus the English in ebook because they were 99 cents at the time when I bought them. Uh-huh. Off, of, off of Amazon. I mean, off of, yeah, Kindle books. So, and I'm going to review them for my show and stuff. And, um, but um, I decided to do that because Michelle Thomas was the first course that I ever used for Russian. And until this day, I'll go back and I'll listen to some things that I might have forgotten in Russian, just as a review. But and, you know, I always tell people you need to use um, something else in conjunction with it, you know, in order to supplement the gaps that you're going to have. Right. Um, after using it. I mean, you'll probably get up to what? A B1? If you're just using Michelle Thomas? Yeah. I have no idea. I um, I would be surprised if you got even i mean grammatically you might be able to but right. you will still need much more vocabulary i think right right well and also depending on the language because i have it for egyptian arabic dutch french italian japanese and russian and i know for french and italian it really isn't that difficult because 90% of the vocabulary I have in my brain anyway from listening to podcasts. And I listen to like three hours worth of news every day in French, off of France 24. Okay. So passively, my vocabulary in Dutch, Italian, and French is pretty freaking high. I can read books in those languages. I just need to speak. Um, so with with the Michelle Thomas the grammar side, it's real easy to pick up the grammar, even though people are like, the grammar is, well, you need to find something that's going to be comparable to you as the student. You know, I don't try to, like, compare myself to any of these people because my journey and my situation is totally different than somebody else's. Now, my only drawback until today, actually, was finding authentic material in the particular languages I was studying because you can't always find stuff in Turkish or Hindi or Cantonese or Japanese or Thai you know in an audio format so that's that's very very true so you kind of have to go for things that aren't as um um, obvious, like watching movies or TV shows. Now, Netflix is my friend. Um, now, finding people to speak with isn't difficult at all. I mean, I, I got the internet. And then I live in Akron, Ohio, and so we have a lot of people that speak a lot of Asian languages, like all the Asian languages, the main ones, like Vietnamese, Mandarin, Korean, Japanese, Thai, and Cantonese are covered here in Akron. So I was able to practice some Thai this year, some Cantonese, and some Arabic. And I even got invited back to a restaurant to speak Arabic with their general manager. Now, who gets that? I don't know. And I didn't have very much Arabic in my head. But they were impressed with the little bit I did spill out. 
I was able to order my food. I was able to, I forgot how to say ask, ask for the check, but that was okay. But they wanted me to come back so I could have a conversation with the general manager. And then I, because I was speaking Egyptian Arabic. Uh-huh. But I realized I have to learn Levantine Arabic too. <laughs> because they speak Levantine Arabic in the kitchen. They don't speak Egyptian. But that's okay though, because I don't mind learning both. Um, you know, even if it is to like a conversational level. You know. But the fact that they were happy, I was speaking their language. And I did get the occasion from this lady, oh well, isn't that hard? No, not for me. Not for anybody else I know that like doing it. Really? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I speak several languages. How many? And then I told her how many, and she about died. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I'm not afraid to go and speak to people at all. Like, if I hear somebody say they speak this language, I know a little bit, I'll turn around and start speaking to them in the language. Yeah, I've done that as well. Um, in... uh or at least I'll go and I'll, if I, even if I know what language it is, um, I'll go and I'll ask them, uh, you know, where they're from exactly. For example, um, if I hear someone speaking a language and I can speak, I might try to jump in. Sometimes it's it's helpful because I was at the airport and there was a lady whose flight had been changed and she couldn't speak any English. It was a, I think she was from. I don't know, Honduras maybe? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But anyway, she needed a Spanish interpreter, and uh, so I jumped right in and helped her there. But other times, I was at the same airport was for a different flight, and the people behind me were... <sighs> I knew they were speaking it was either Dutch or Afrikaans. I couldn't remember which. And um, I turned around, and I don't remember if I greeted them in Dutch. I don't, I don't know any Afrikaans, but I don't remember if I turned around and greeted them in Dutch or if I just asked them. Uh, I, I knew that the Afrikaans had come up because I recognized the, the, the word. I recognized that, at least. Right. Uh, but they were surprised that I was even able to pick up on that. And so it's just always fun doing things like that. And I don't consider myself... Um, um, it's not the most pleasant thing for me in the world to go up and just start talking to someone. But if I see someone with a language that I'm curious about, it's a lot more easy. It's a lot easier for me because I, uh, I just make that a priority because now I have a reason to go and speak with them rather than just, you know, going up and, uh, and talking. Some people can just go right up to someone and just start making conversation. I'm not exactly that way. My dad is that way, but I didn't, I didn't get those genes as, as, as completely as my brother did. Yeah, I did that with some, I was actually in a coffee shop waiting for a meeting to start that I had, that I was president of a nonprofit organization at the time. And, um, this lady was a Russian professor and she was, I, you know, and my friend was like, well, don't you speak Russian? And then I was like, yeah, I do. And then she turned around and said, wait, you speak Russian? And I just started speaking Russian to her. But this is what the funny part about the whole thing. The irony of it was she's a Russian professor, but she was uncomfortable speaking Russian around these people. Uh-huh. And I'm like, and then I, she said, can we speak English? Because it's rude to talk to people in another language if they don't know it. And I was like, really? Well, I was kind of put back by it because I was like, well, wait a minute. You teach Russian to people. 
how can you say that this is inappropriate? Wow. I was just, I was blown away by that because I wasn't expecting that. You know? Mm-hmm. And, like, when she left and I said, oh, you know, it's nice to meet you, you know. But I could just tell she was very uncomfortable. And I said, wow. I wasn't expecting that. And my friend's like, what was that about? I was like, I think what it is is because Russia is a very sensitive subject. She probably felt speaking it would attract too much attention. I don't know. (laughs) I was like, but at the end of the day, any language you speak these days in this country, especially if you're speaking Spanish, oh, well, I've seen people be very mean to people because they're speaking a language they don't know. Uh-huh. They automatically assume out of ignorance that they're talking about them, which isn't even the case. I mean, oh, well, can I take you with me since you speak on these? No, you're. Not, I'm not eavesdropping on these people and I'm not telling you what they say. Uh-huh. You know, or they, or you get criticized because, oh, you're not fluent. So if you're not fluent, you're either a fraud or you don't know anything. Well, actually, I do. Um, I am conversational. And any amount of language, whether it's a few sentences, that's more than what you knew prior to starting the language in the beginning. Like, you didn't know anything. There's an author. Uh, see if I can. I think his name is Barry Farber. He wrote mm-hmm. How to Learn Any Language. You can get it on uh, Amazon. It's it's quite outdated. I, unless there might be an updated edition, but the version mm-hmm. I remember I read over 20 years ago. Right. And he still talks about using cassette tapes and stuff. That's how <laughs> that's how old the book I is. I remember that. Oh my god. But anyway, he talked about uh, people wanting to learn something to perfection. Uh, and he said, "Remember that a language. I'm sure this is you know." A hyperbole, but or hyperbolically speaking, but uh, a language is the only thing worth knowing badly. And you know, I, I obviously, uh, I never really, I never really thought of it that way before uh, he, uh, uh, before I read that quote, and the, because when I was starting out in languages, I was kind of like what the type of person you were talking about earlier. Uh, the person who thinks like they have to be perfect from the get-go. They don't realize how much time is put into it. And he was making the point of like, yeah, but even if you're not fluent right away, don't don't worry about it. Just try to get a little better at it as you go. And if you don't speak it well, you're still having, you know, that much more of a, a few sentences advantages over what you had earlier. Right. Even if you are speaking in the present tense the entire time and you can't conjugate a single verb in the past tense, but you can still communicate. It's right. still, you know, it's still worth learning. Right. Um, I mean, there's, there, you're not going to even remember every single word. You're not going to know every single word either. You know, I mean, let's be honest. I don't know every animal in Russian. I know cat and dog. I know fish. I know chicken. I know this. I know that. But I'm not going to learn every single flower or, 
you know, every single, I might learn your basic colors, okay? But that's yeah, but later those, on down the road. Animal words, though, how many animal words or flower words do most people know in English? Like, do, do most people know the difference between a cow and a heifer um, and a steer, you know? Or right. when a, a horse is like a... Um, uh, shoot, I don't, see, I don't even know the words for all the words for horses, and it's kind of embarrassing. Right. I grew up around them, but it's just never, it was never really something, or not, not around them, like I, I my dad right. worked with them, but I, I didn't work, spend much time with them. But the point is, is you don't need to know all that stuff. Right. Uh, and, but, but for some <laughs> reason, a lot of ESL learners, especially if they're from like Russia uh, or Latin America or Asia in particular, okay, mainland China, they need to know everything. Screw that. I worked with some people where they were from like every walk of life, okay? The Middle mm-hmm. East, um, Asia, Latin America, Mexico, Puerto Rico in particular too. Um, and the Chinese students, we had like five of them in one class and we had to separate them so they wouldn't speak Chinese. Because they were doing English, and we had a, uh, we had a, uh, what do you call that? A scavenger hunt outside. So we we split up into teams of four. So it was me and my guide dog plus three students, and we set off one one side of the street, and we had a map. They had a map, and they had a pencil and paper, and they had to find the different places that were on the paper they had to ask for directions they had to write it down they had to read they had to speak so they had all all of that was covered they had an hour to do it all they had so much fun because they got to practice their english in a fun activity well the chinese people didn't want to do it because they wanted to be in a book and I said, well, do you understand why when most of the people that come over from your country cannot speak English well? You know why? Because they're not using it. You're doing it for academics. Your reading and writing is excellent. But your comprehension and your speaking is not at the same level as your reading and your writing. So the more exposure you have to speak with people, the better off you're going to be. You know, because you're going to find that everybody doesn't speak English the same way. You know. And so, um, she finally came around to, you know, because she would have been the only one left in the classroom. So, you know, we were able to get them to come out of their comfort zone by doing an activity that was outside. And we made sure we did a lot of activities outside. So they can be exposed to asking people questions and practicing their English because they weren't getting that. You know, I was like, well, there's more to a language than test scores. That's not going to get you a job. Not necessarily. You being able to communicate is going to get you a job. So, and and then the the place I was working at, um, they wanted to tailor it towards those things where they can get gainful employment, where they could make sure that they knew how to contact, you know, 
different services like the light company, the gas company, the water company, you know, because their problem was they were trying to understand the props that were on the phone and they were speaking too fast. And so, I mean, I learned a lot from them and they learned a lot from me because they had never seen someone that was visually impaired with a guide dog that, you know, had was certified to teach and they didn't have that type of exposure because blind people in their country were seen but not heard. Uh-huh. If you know what I mean. So it wasn't as we weren't as visible over there. We exist, but you know, it was behind the scenes. So um yeah, it was it was a very nice experience. And they loved the fact that I was learning their languages and practicing with them. That's awesome. It was a it was a great experience in that regard and it, it made me have a love for other people and what they you know go through because they had like after the six weeks the classes were like six weeks they were like twice a week like two hours a day and so at the end they had to do a little presentation from their country and I mean you learned so much about where they came from and what was important to them and some of the stories were really interesting and some of the stories weren't um very easy to digest you know because you almost want to start crying because mm-hmm. it was that sad but i mean you learn so much i mean i would walk out of those classes like you know what my life isn't so bad you know mm-hmm. and i mean it made me have a better and stronger love for wanting to learn other people's languages and learn about their culture and where they come from you know because, you know, I look at language as a communication bridge that can join us together more so than divide us. I think if more people actually took the time to learn someone's language, and it has to be a language that they want to learn by choice, not force, um, we would be a lot better off, I think. I agree. I agree with that. I think that we need more language in our classrooms. I think people need to understand that the the students should be allowed to choose the language and don't force it down their throats. Um, I mean, because if you think about it, I think if they really want languages to be introduced, they need to do it either comprehensible input, stuff that you're interested in, reading, and listening to and watching, um, then, okay, let's do this for an academic test. Okay, let's see if you can get 100 on this. Let's see if you can conjugate these verbs. Let's see if you can, you know. It's like no one speaks like a textbook, you know. And that's not how you learned your first language either. You learn right. by listening and repeating. And I think even a lot of these polyglots, you know, they say that on on their videos, you know, everyone learns differently. But then when you test it out and say, yes, you're right, everybody does learn differently. But can you accept those differences of learning and embrace it? Because if you're teaching someone something, the person that you have in front of you isn't going to learn like the last person you had in front of you before that. And so, um, for me, 
being a part of the community, I've tried to educate a lot because a lot of them did not know. Um, you know, I mean, I didn't realize how many blind or visually impaired people there were that were learning languages until recently. And so, you know, I had to find me a niche, some type of a hook. And um, in regards to standing out in the language learning community, because, you know, I learn everything by ear. I don't have colored, coded notebooks back and front written on a list of words and phrases. I Everything's in my head. And so... You know, I use, like, Memorize and um, Innovative Language, the POT 101 series. And I use um, Michelle Thomas, a lot of TuneIn Radio, a lot of podcasts, SBS Radio I use, um, Podcast Italiano, um, Harry Potter, if I can find it in a particular language. And then whatever else interests me. The news. I watch the news. I like to watch stuff in real time. So I try to find, like, um, soap operas, like Mm -hmm. telenovelas in Italian. Like, I watch um, Abigail Italiano. And and then I watched, um, I used to watch El Coto di Pueblo on um, Telemundo. Um, I liked it because it was, you know, it was in real time, and I liked the fights that they would have in the courtroom. And half the time it was like, you owe me money for, for my apartment or my car or my visit, you know, but you picked up so much, you know, from watching it, you know, and it wasn't that long. It was like maybe a half an hour, you know. Right. And so the telenovelas, that would last for like six months. So I would watch that, but... My main Spanish interaction was music. And I still listen to Spanish music until this day. And I did live with a host family in California for 10 months. And they spoke Spanish to each other. They spoke English to me, okay? Uh-huh. By the time I left after the 10 months, I was fluent. Because I was exposed to them all day long. Right. Listening to them. And... I understood everything they said, and I just kept listening, and I did have negative responses because, you know, there are some people that are very ignorant, especially when it comes down to people with disabilities. I had someone from Ecuador tell me they couldn't have a conversation with me because I was visually impaired, and they heard that people that are blind don't know anything. And this is in a WhatsApp chat. And they sent me this message, uh-huh. and I was so hurt by it that every other cuss word came out in Spanish. And I sent them a nice little message, and then they they changed their tune and apologized. And I I you know I also let people know I was like not everybody that you talk to is nice. Either. There are some places where they discriminate. And if you're disabled, good luck with that. 
there's some places in the world I don't know if I would go anyway, even being a woman, mm-hmm. because of those reasons. Not right. just because of my disability, but also because I'm a woman. I just know. And but it doesn't mean that I have any prejudice towards them. You know, that's just their society's view. And it's unfortunate because we're living in the 21st century. And people are still thinking backwards on a Uh lot of things. And and I said, you know, I'm glad that I'm learning languages because it gives me a wider insight into people. You know, not just from having a conversation with them, but psychologically too and culturally. You know, like I'm learning Arabic, Egyptian Arabic, and I'm starting to understand that, you know, they don't drink alcohol unless you go to a bar or you go to a club in Egypt. They don't have that in a supermarket or anywhere because of their religious beliefs. I wouldn't have known that if I wouldn't have been listening to this course. I'm like, really? Wow. You know, but they also talk about the drinks that they drink during Ramadan. Uh You know, the fruit drinks and stuff to keep them hydrated because they can't eat for a certain amount of time. And and what you can have if you you have to ask for this in a particular way, like you have to use the number one and then you have to say something else in order to, you know, because you can't drink the water over there. You have to drink like bottled water. But you got to be specific about what kind. You mean as opposed to water with gas or water without gas or what do you mean? Like, I guess. Over there, you only can get bottled water, but you can have middle, mineral water. You know, they have mineral water over there. And they have another kind of water. Like, I don't know if it's spring water. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's you can't drink the tap water. That's all I know. Right. Because it's not, you wind up sick in the hospital pretty much. So... I mean, but there are places in the world where you have to buy bottled water. Sure, because yeah. their water supply is not good. Mexico, I heard, is one of them. Yeah, well, um, Mexico, Latin America, I don't, I think most of Latin America is like that. Uh, Peru is definitely like that. So, I mean, okay, is it just for drinking? It's not, is it for cooking too? Um, in Mexico, I could use the water for brushing my teeth. Uh, in Mexico, they used, honestly, I never paid a whole lot of attention in the kitchen, but I'm sure they used the bottled water for cooking. In Peru, it was a little different. I was in the Peace Corps in Peru, um, and where we were living, where I was living, uh, and I had a host family, so the family I was living with, we lived out in the very, 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 very rural part of the country, where the water was uh came out of streams and then it was piped into the town but it was uh like it was all muddy and stuff it didn't go through a water um treatment plant well of course it didn't uh it was just there was a, a reservoir that would capture the water going to the streams and it would come out all muddy and murky and all the since it was going through pastures it had i'm sure uh, bacteria from the animals as well. Wow. And, but like when it came out, it, where I was living, the water was so murky that 
it was it was cloudy. You know, it wasn't clear. It was cloudy water. Right. Uh, but I never got sick from it because they would boil it. Um, and they did use that for cooking as well. But like I said, it was boiled. And no one drank straight water there because it was atrocious to look at. They all mixed it with Tang. Tang was uh, very popular down there. Or some other juice or um, coffee or tea. Um, and when you mixed it with something, it was fine. I had a water filter and I shared that with my host family. Um, just set up this really big bucket filter in the house. You know, it would clarify the water, but it would also get worn out very quickly because the water supply was so just god awful. Or about oh, the water, wow. water quality, I mean. Wow. You know, I mean, and this is the type of stuff that a lot of people don't get to hear on podcasts. Mm-hmm. They hear about the technical side of language. They don't hear, oh, well, this is what I went through. Like, this is what I had to, you know. The water was really bad, and this is what we had to do, and this is how we had to live. And Well, but, that you know, that's something about learning a language that does get passed over a lot, in that it is a, beyond a hobby, in a lot of ways, it's a lifestyle choice, because right. it's not like reading a book, where you can, you pick up the thing, and then you're done with it. it it's something that you invest time in, and then it continues to grow, and you're never really done. And part of the reason is that is because it is a language is built into its culture or cultures, you know, because it can have and several cultures. So when you're going there to another country or not even going to another country, even, but like when you said, going to California and spending time with, you know, family, you do have these incidents, these adventures in, in language learning. But it's not because it's language learning so much as that it's becoming it's getting to know a new culture. Right. And I had so much of respect for Mexicans because I grew up around Puerto Ricans and Italians. Sure. So for me, it was like, you know, I was like into the food. I mean, now I was kind of naive because I accidentally cooked some pancakes on a tortilla warmer, which I thought was a griddle uh-huh. because of the way it looked. Uh-huh. Instead of it being closed in on the sides, it was open, and but it was closed on the top and the bottom part, and it was flat, yeah. and it looked like a big spatula. So I'm thinking it's a griddle, because I've seen griddles like that before. So this is what I'm thinking. They were laughing. They was like, no, it's a tortilla warmer. What? I mean, I mean, we had to laugh about it because I had no idea, you know. I just was totally clueless. You know, I grew up around, you know, African-Americans and Italians and some Puerto Ricans, but I didn't, I never saw them cook anything. So, you know, for me, this was like a a first. And they treated me like family, you know. So when I left after 10 months, you know, it was quite sad. Um, But at the same time, it was, it was an amazing experience. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. No, you know, because you you get an appreciation for their work ethic too. Like, I mean, when you talk about them coming together as a community, like they help paint each other's houses. They were helping in the the front yard. They would be up from the crack of dawn till the sun went down. 
that was a true in, in where I was living in Peru because it was so isolated. Um, it was, you know, in a lot of ways it was like going back in time. Um, the, uh, they had electricity and they had gas powered vehicles like you see everywhere else. But mm-hmm. if you took away those few things, if you took away the electricity and sometimes nature did for some, well, at one point, two weeks at a, on end, um, or if the roads collapsed during the rainy season and no vehicles got through, it felt like, you know, you were back a century. Um, but the people, they would, they were completely on their own. Well, not completely, but quite, you know, quite a bit on their own anyways. If, uh, someone was going to build a house or they're going to, um, replace a roof, everything there was built out of adobe and bamboo. So, uh, the building materials were right there on hand. All they had to do was make the adobe bricks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the materials around everywhere for that. And they had plenty of bamboo growing there. The whole town would come out and they would spend all day replacing the bamboo, uh, beams on the roof. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know where the tiles came from. I imagine, I think those were also made locally. And the whole town would get out and do it. It was like an old community barn raising, uh, barn raising. And when the, um, uh, when the roads would collapse during the rainy season, uh, the people would get out there with their, uh, picks and shovels and they would go and try to patch the holes in the road. And these were big holes. I mean, these were holes. These were like the road had literally the dirt road. There was no pavement out there. Mm-hmm. And literally collapsed. You couldn't jump across one of these holes. You could walk across um, along the edge, but it was just because there would be a big old um, a landslide is what it would be. The water would soak up the mud in the on the side of the mountains, and the whole thing would just come sliding down. Uh, and uh, by the time the end of the rainy season came around, a, a bulldozer from one of the cities would come up and and bulldoze the paths so that the 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 vehicles the the one or two pickups that made their drives once a day would, uh, or twice a day, I should say, would be able to make, be able to pass. But until then, the town people, the townspeople would all be out there by themselves, uh, in this community, chipping away at these roads to, to make them walkable again so they weren't cut off for the entire winter. So those are just, I mean, that's not really a language learning thing, but it's a cultural experience and it's just, uh, Something that you don't even think about when you go out and start learning your language is that you're going to see this whole other, uh, potentially you're going to see a completely different side of the world. Or you don't even have to learn something so exotic. I was, when I was in Berlin for the first language gathering, uh, four years ago maybe, I knew, um, I had a German friend who said, hey, you should talk to my other German friend who you've never met, but we all went to the same university, even though you didn't meet her. She lives in Berlin now. You guys should talk. So I looked her up, and we're talking, and she's like, do you want to come over to my house for a barbecue? Um, going to my neighbors, my apartment neighbors are going to be doing some cooking over this grill they have. Do you want to join? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I go there, and they're... Uh, the people there, they're telling about their life growing up in East Berlin. Uh, so it's not exactly the same as not having water and having to carve out roads out of mountainsides with picks and shovels, but it's still a different experience than growing up in Midwestern America. Right. 
monolingual for the first 17 years of my life is something that it's not an experience that I wouldn't, uh, that I would not have been able to have. And it was beyond all tourism as well. It's, you did it, you were able to do it because you had learned the language and right. you had, suddenly you had an access to something that most people won't have. Right. So. Right. And I, you know, I, like I had, I was talking to Stu J. Roger about that same thing back in June when I interviewed him. And I said, you know, um, I, I love culture and learning about different people and where they come from. And a lot of times when you're studying a language, you know, yeah, you might learn the grammar and you might learn the vocab and some phrases and you might be able to put everything together and have a conversation. But once you start listening to these people and how they, what, what they go through, how they live, you start watching the news in their language or reading newspapers or whatever, and you start soaking up what's going on, it, it kind of like changes your whole view of your own life because you look at it like, oh, well, I guess my life isn't that bad. Look at what these people, you know had to go through or overcome or are going through and you know nothing that I've ever gone through is anything in comparison to what is happening to them at you know this given moment and I said you know it's kind of funny when you get to learn about someone else's culture and you know how they do things and and I I even go as far as to um, learn about the different laws of each country just in case I went over to someone else's country, I call it someone else's backyard. Sure. Um, because, you know, you've heard how Americans have gone over to places and uh, it didn't wind up being a happy ending. You know, because they got themselves into trouble and they didn't know how to get themselves out of it. And, you know, I mean, when you go over to someone else's backyard, you kind of want to know what you're going to get you're getting yourself into legally and otherwise, you know, how do they, how do they interact with them, with each other, you know, during, you know, not only business or academic, but, you know, socially with their friends and their families, you know, like in Russia, for instance, um, you know, you have to take your shoes off at the door. Yeah. You go in the door, you go through the threshold, they close the door, you turn around, you greet them. You don't shake your hand like in America. You know, nope. You got to walk in, let them walk. Take, they got to take their shoes off. They got to put shoe coverings on their shoes. They'll give you some slippers or something. But you take your shoes off before you go in the house. As a matter of fact, you wear shoe coverings in just about every place in Moscow because, you know, that's just how they are. And, um, like, if you're sitting around a table, the women are in the middle of the table. Now, I don't know why this is, but this is how it is. The men are at the end of the table. And if you're drinking, you know, be prepared to drink. And do a lot of this um, because they find it rude if you're, you know, you're not drinking with them or you're not eating. Like, let's say you get full. You better not eat before you get to that person's house. Let's just put it because they cook a lot of food. And um, like 
when they're done with their bottles of alcohol, they it's not like they stay on the table. No, they put them underneath the table. And then, you know, you have to greet everybody in the room when you come in. And then you have to go back and you have to greet everybody before you leave. Because if you miss one person that you greeted when you came in the door, that's a sign of disrespect and rude. Right. Then if you go and you complain about whatever and they find out about it, you might not be invited back. Because they took the time to invite you to there. And I can definitely understand that. Um, they're very much helpful. So, like, if you need help carrying your bags and they see you're lost, they will actually help you. Um, yeah, like, I learned so much about their culture. It was unreal. And I was like, I like this. Like, And then it made me think, oh, well, since I'm learning these languages, why not learn about the different cultures while I'm at it? So if I ever come in contact with somebody, I know how to behave. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't, you know, I, I tried to do that once, share a recipe as an example for, um, I was in somebody's group and I forgot to describe why I put this here. I, I, I said what it was. But I didn't break it down like, oh, this is for people who are learning English, and it's A1, and it's about food, and it's about what I would cook being African-American. All it was was some broccoli, some baked um, codfish that I made that was lemon pepper codfish, and then I had made some dirty rice. Mm -hmm. Well, no one knew what dirty rice was, so people were like, I like this, I like this. Well, a whole bunch of people bitched and complained about it. It got taken down. And then I tried to explain myself in a video. And that got taken down. And then I was told why all this got taken down. Because I supposedly didn't explain enough that this was language related. And I said, okay, so you mean to tell me the only thing you care about is vocabulary, word list, um, grammar tables. And sentence structure, you forget that there's more to a language than just its components. Like, there's the culture, there's the people, the history, so forth and so on. Uh And so that kind of made me want to create my own group because I kept seeing this pattern of that's all anyone cared about. And I said, well, but there are people out here that care about wanting to cook recipes from different countries from the target language for which they're learning. You know, because you're you're learning about the cuisine and the food and you know, if you can get it in the actual language. So like if you want to make baked ziti but you don't want to make it in English, you want to make it in Italian, an Italian recipe, you're gonna look up the measurements in Italian, you're gonna look up the words, you know, the ingredients, you're gonna go out and buy it. And you might be bold and decide to do a video of you speaking about how you're making this in Italian, you know, using the vocabulary that you learned, you know, just to practice the vocabulary, you know, uh-huh. and and make the meal and show how it's made. Okay. Well, they went crazy because 
they didn't think that this was appropriate and it got taken down. And someone said, there's nothing wrong with that. What she was doing was educating you on something and it was a group of people that liked it and it was a whole bunch of people that didn't. And because those whole bunch of people didn't like it, it got taken down. I pretty much got censored and I just said, time for me to create my own because I kind of feel like I've learned enough being an independent um, language learner and then going into podcasting and interviewing people about language learning without having to go get a master's degree in applied linguistics and, you know, because you really don't need all that. Um, so, um, I did that because I kind of felt like, well, you know, people would like to be able to be in an environment where they weren't stressed out about being perfect when they're speaking or, you know, they have other concerns with their language learning, but they're too uncomfortable because you're in a group with 10,000 people, for example. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, people have left groups because of other things like sexual harassment, racism. And when I heard these stories, I started to realize, okay, are people learning languages now for the sake of learning and, and being more culturally aware of other people from other countries because they enjoy it? Or is it because, you know, they want to flaunt, you know, it's for show. Uh-huh. More so than anything. And I mean, I'm, I'm starting to see bits and pieces of that. I mean, there are people that are in our group, for instance, that they're picky about what groups they want to be in because of those reasons. And they don't feel like anything is being addressed, like the bashing and the bullying. And, the, and I said, I thought we all were supposed to be learning languages because this is a hobby and it's something we all are connected by. Why does it have to be a competition of sorts or, you know, someone thinks they're better than you because they have an interpreter degree or they have a master's degree or a PhD. You see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Like I just, for me, that, that mind boggles me more so than anything. So when I wrote last night, has anyone experienced love when learning a language, you know, um, it, because, you know, I, I remember reading or listening to a podcast episode someone did about that. They learned their, they learned Russian because they, you know, they wanted to learn Russian, but they also met somebody who was learning Brazilian Portuguese because for a job or something. And they wound up uh, meeting, falling in love and getting engaged. And now they speak Russian with their in-laws and them and their wife speak Portuguese. They don't even speak English. You know, they found their common language to speak over. So, um, you know, and she didn't use, she didn't let him use Russian or her as a Russian teacher. You know, he was forced to learn it himself, you know, without her guidance. But they had to common language of Portuguese to go off of for their own community, you know, 
they're communicating together. And I said, you know, I might actually do a an episode on that topic because a lot of people aren't talking about that. You know, they're just talking about the quickest way to learn something. And so I said, I'm going to kind of start really thinking outside the box about language learning and how it affects people. You know, even when you're having a conversation with someone in the target language for the first time, how do you feel about that? Do you have anxiety? Do you have, you know, some type of frustration going on in your head? You know, not just because you're speaking it for the first time, but you don't know how the other person on the receiving end is going to acknowledge you, either positive or negatively, vice versa. So I'm going to kind of go down that road for a couple episodes just because I'm starting to see a lot of that. I'm starting to see a lot of people stress out, like Mm -hmm. a lot. And I don't know if it's mainly because of life in general. They just have things going on and they're just distracted because of that. Or is it just because of the sure they're putting all this pressure on themselves to be more than what they need to be because, you know, of social media and people on social media. That's kind of a, it's probably the last point that I make. Um, mm-hmm. I head out tonight, actually, but um, it's kind of a mixed bag there regarding social media and uh, language learning. Because on the one hand, you know, it's like talking about these groups that you've seen. I've actually unfollowed a lot of groups, not because I was bullied or harassed, but because they're just, hey, how do you say this or or whatever, and sometimes it's useful and stuff, if it's a term or a colloquialism, otherwise it's, why don't you just look it up? Um, I can see how social media is useful for, uh, you know, crowdsourcing terms that you, or, or slang or the equivalent of a word that you just won't find in a dictionary because it might be a cultural expression um, or something like that, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, it is, you do kind of get a dredge sometimes of the way people act towards one another. And I've almost found it to, I've been, I've become a lot more selective about social media groups that I join in general, let alone with language learning. Right. So it's a mixed bag. I think on, I think ultimately it's definitely a, a positive. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that there's definitely uh, a lot of potential for, well, not just potential, but there are definitely valuable social media resources for language learners. Um, they're usually centered, the ones that I'm thinking of are centered around a particular product where, uh, for example, Glossica is a very good, uh, on Facebook, it has a very good uh, um, community for, I guess, community, yeah, community, that's a good word very good community that tends to be pretty supportive of one another. Um, Some of these really huge Facebook groups, I I can't think of any specific examples, but they will have thousands and thousands of members. They're almost just, I don't know. I I find them to be, find some valuable information. And is it kind of like finding a diamond in the rough? Right. Like, Uh, like, so it's a a two edged sword. Right. Like, I know for me, I had to leave 
Jimmy Mello's group, and I was a part of it, like, since he started it. I think that's one that I unfollowed. I don't remember if I have or haven't, but I, I think that's one of them I have. Um, and it's, like, almost 40,000 people. You know, and I'm sitting here looking like, how the hell do you manage all that? Is, is, you know, and you can tell that some of it's out of control because of people and their comments. And some of them is not nice, you know, at all. And there's too much bashing, too much negativity, too much. And I'm just like, wow, you know. I I left it recently. I left the polyglots group because of the same thing. Um, and I'm just like, wow, you know, I was in here in the beginning, and it was great. And it was like the more people you have, the more out of control things start to get. Mm-hmm. And like, there's only like two admins, and I don't even know how many moderators, if any. Yeah. I'm like, no way. And so. I love Jimmy to death, but I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I, well, I couldn't take watching people get harassed and bashed. And that was just, that was just too much. It it stopped becoming about language learning and then it started becoming about competition. And, you know, if someone had a word that was spelled wrong or anything, just the least littlest thing. And so I left those two groups and then I think the only ones that I'm really involved in, personally, Ollie Richards, Kirsten Cable, Lindsay, I follow Luca, I follow um, Jessica Brown from Nihongo Connection because of Japanese. Uh I'm in a whole bunch of groups, but I'm not, um, I'll post every once in a while in certain ones. But I've gotten to the point now where, because I created my own thing, I kind of followed uh, Donovan Nuggle from the Mesogill podcast. He said, I'll follow people or I'll look at people, stuff, but I'm concentrating on my own thing. Right. So, so, and I said, now that I'm concentrating on my own thing, you know, I'm not really as engaged as I was. A few months ago, um, mainly because, you know, I want to bring my own spin to it. But I also want to be realistic. And, and you know, I might have 115 people right now. That might not be significant to some people. And it's me. But, um, you know, I want to bring some type of positivity to people when it comes down to language learning. And, you know, if you've got to take a break, you've got to take a break. It's going to be there, you know, but I'm also going to be realistic, you know, with them as well. You know, I, I don't know everything. You know, I was like, that's why I say we all learn from each other. And I thank everybody for joining my group and, you know, taking a chance on me and listening to what I have to say. I mean, because I learn just as much from you guys as you guys learn from me, you know. And I right. mean, there's some pretty interesting people that have joined the group as of recently. So, and I'm very thankful to them for doing that. You know, Richard's in there and Chris Brohom and um, Dr. Crash enjoyed. And um, I actually had someone call me about him today because they were a little intimidated. <laughs> uh, who? Stephen Crashin. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, that is cool. Yeah, so I, well, they, they're from Bulgaria and they're totally blind and they kind of didn't want to offend him because they, they called him Stephen instead of Dr. Krasin. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, I don't think he cared. Yeah. I don't think that's, it, but see, she didn't know that, you know, because where she comes from, there's a bit of formality, especially if you're an older person. So, and I, I, I assured her he was perfectly fine with me. Yeah. And, um, but yes, I, I want to thank you for joining too. Thank you for coming on the show. Not a problem. Can, I enjoyed can, it. Can anyone find you anywhere if they want to? Other than the group, <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to. I don't have a website, and I do have a blog, but I haven't maintained it for very long. Um, I keep thinking I need to write something. It's not a language learning blog, though. It's it's just you know personal thoughts. Right. The only place I have, the only place where people can find me. Well, you know, I have an account on Quora, and I sometimes write about language stuff there, but I write about other things, too. I write about um, psychology and right. movies and things, and I don't, even there, I don't write uh, too much. Some people are phenomenal writers, and I just post very selective about stuff that I answer. Right. And then, of course, I have a Facebook page, um, and I've been dialing back. Uh, I've been dialing back um, information on that is or I've been pruning down on that as well as ter- terms of uh, people that I'm connected with. However, mm-hmm. if someone if someone reaches out to me there, like sends me a message, uh, I would and hopefully I get it. You know, we can communicate that way, and right, then right. maybe we can connect. Like that's how that worked with you and me. I you right. sent me. We connected and we talked on Messenger for a bit. So right. that would probably be the easiest way. But on Quora, okay. you can find me there. People can send me messages through Facebook, or if they're on Quora, they can send me a message there too. Okay. Yeah, I, I usually ask that just in case somebody, you know, wants to know. But 90% of the time, it's like I'm still growing my audience. I'm almost I mean, at 90 countries. <laughs> If someone has a question about languages or, or yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to yeah. Yeah. help with that. Or if uh, if I can, anyways, if someone right. needs a Spanish or German to English translator, of course, I'm happy to help with that. Right. Um, that's what I do. But uh, I don't have a website or a dedicated blog to language learning uh, right. right now. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. This will be published sometime in the near future. I'm going to win because I'm in the middle of doing reviews for Michelle Thomas. So it's like I'm doing this Japanese thing all weekend, and then I'm going to do the episode and put that out. So it'll be sometime in October. That's fine. Just let me know when you publish it, and I will spread the word. Okay. Well, thank you. Not a problem. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.